Hello, and welcome to B2B Revenue Leaders. I'm your host, Dustin Tizik. Today, I'm joined by Sam Schepler, who is the CEO here at Testimonial Hero. We talk about what a buyer 2.0 world looks like, why traditional social proof like case studies and reviews doesn't really work the same anymore, what customer evidence is, why it matters, and how to really get that customer evidence flywheel spinning. On to the episode. Hey, Sam, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Dustin. It's great to be here. Yeah, so this is second or third episode we've done together. I can't remember. And we're going to talk about a bunch of things we talk about a lot as we work through, you know, the company strategy, how we feel about this, how things are shifting. But the thing I want to kick it off with is kind of why traditional social proof or social proof 1.0, as we've been calling it, doesn't really work and isn't enough anymore. Absolutely. And I think it all comes down to the fact that we've shifted in the B2B buying process from to a completely different, you know, world where buyers like to self-service, do more research on their own. A lot of people call it, you know, this buyer 2.0 world. And it's pretty simple when the buyer experience and how buyers like to buy changes, you know, we also have to adapt as sellers and marketers to, you know, keep pace with that and, and drive results in that say in that new environment. So in a, in a nutshell, you know, we've gone from buyer 1.0 to buyer 2.0. And we also need to go from social proof 1.0 to social proof 2.0 if we want to outperform and really, you know, maximize our results. Yeah, and I think just for the listeners to explain on the buyer side, you know, we're all aware of it as marketers listen to this. It used to be, you know, the seller was the one who controlled it. You kind of fed them the information. Now people do all their research ahead of time. We'll go to G2. We'll go to your website to read the case study. Like they're going to do all that. But now everyone has, you know, the same stars on G2 or within a couple of each other. They have case studies that look and sound the same that people might not actually read. So it's, you know, standing out there, I think. So we've explained kind of buyer 1.0 for buyer 2.0. What about on the social proof side? Like what is it that has to change or should change there? I think the biggest change between social proof 1.0 and social proof 2.0 is that social proof 1.0 was very much about, you know, the majority of the, the effort was put towards the bottom of the funnel into, you know, case studies, reference calls, video testimonials, like kind of monolithic one size fits all you know, video testimonials and video case studies. And a lot of times as, as marketers, you know, we were thinking of social proof other than the kind of more surface level stuff like logo racks and, and, and quotes, kind of pull quotes and, and, you know, reviews, so, you know, we were thinking about a lot of our effort and bottom of the funnel. So we had this kind of, you know, bifurcated approach in social proof 1.0 of we're going to put effort at the top of the funnel for those kind of trust indicators like logo racks and badges, pull quotes, we're going to put effort at the bottom of the funnel with these reference programs, setting up reference calls, big, long written case studies, kind of monolithic, one size fits all, expensive video testimonials. And then we're going to completely ignore the middle of the life cycle because that's when this, the wonderful account executives, you know, shepherd our willing buyers through the buyer journey and take them exactly where we want them to go. And we'll use our social proof to kind of get people in the door. And then the sales rep will guide the process. And then 
We'll use our bottom of funnel social proof to kind of handle those objections and push them over the line. So, so that was kind of like, we almost had this like barbell approach. If you think about like a barbell in terms of like the ends of it, um, you know, sticking out, like we have this kind of barbelled approach to social proof. Um, but problem is now in the buyer 2.0 world, when, uh, buyers want to do their own research. So what's happening is they get into the, the, you know, maybe the, the more of the middle of the funnel kind of on their own kind of self consuming content and there's nothing there to, to establish trust. You know, they're just, so, so they're you know, actually more likely to fall out of the funnel and, and actually have, you know, pipeline leakage, you know, and so that's like, the big difference is between uh, social proof 1.0 and social proof 2.0 is that, you know, it's a, it's a reaction and that addresses the differences in buyer behavior. And it is more, much more of a full funnel or full life cycle approach with the idea that you need the right customer stories throughout all of your life cycle stages. If you want to optimize um, that customer journey and optimize your conversion rates throughout all your different life cycle stages and ultimately close deals faster. Yeah, I think an interesting, interesting thing there is on the pipeline leakage because it's not something you can actually see as a marketer. So like I see it on the flip side of when I'm going to buy software. Sometimes I'll kind of be halfway through the buyer's journey in a sense without talking to anyone. And then either there won't be enough trust or enough proof points for me to move forward, or there's something at the same time that breaks trust or honestly just annoys me and I drop out of that sales cycle without them realizing. So I think there's the technical stuff that can make you drop off, like pricing being hit hidden and SDR not following up right away, it being a nightmare to book, being banted to death, like all that annoying stuff as the negative stuff that pushes you away. But on the flip side, you need some of that positive proof to maybe get past some of those hurdles and actually move in the journey. So I think, you know, that's where we get stuck. I think what people are probably thinking now as they listen to this is, okay, theoretically, that makes sense. What type of content do I actually need during those stages? And how do I figure that out? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think... And just to kind of, before I answer that, just to kind of expand a little bit. Yeah. It's all about, you know, the, you today, you know, the, the only trust gap isn't at the end of the buyer journey. Right. I think that that's kind of the, the paradigm or, or the metaphor that we used to be operating in, in sales and marketing is like the trust gap is at the finish line. Right. Like, and you can hear that even in the way that you know, in the way that we as marketers kind of talk about how we use case studies, we'll often say, you know, oh yeah, we use the reference scholar, the case study to like push them over the finish line as if it, as if the only trust gap in the buyer journey was the finish line. Well, that would yeah. be amazing, but that's not the world that we live in anymore. Right. You know, there are trust gaps now throughout the, the, the entire buyer journey. So if we're not putting our best foot forward as a, as revenue teams to address those, we're just really trying to drive revenue with, you know, our hands, you know, somewhat tied behind our backs. Right. So I think that's, that's a really good point that you brought up and, and a good kind of distinction there in terms of like functionally, you know, how to do, how to, you know, what to do next and how to address it. I think it's a lot about understanding, you know, what those trust gaps are, you know, kind of mapping out your, your buyer journey, you know, what your life cycle stages are, and then 
understanding for every stage in the buyer journey, you know, what are the questions, fears, and doubts, the QFDs that my different buyer personas have at every stage of the customer journey. And then even before an objection is raised, can I share a 30 second, you know, video in my follow-up featuring one of my customers who actually kind of crushes that objection before it even even happens, right? And um, and so yeah, I think that the end result that that we see and that you know our, our clients are seeing is that not only are we you know accelerating you know the sales process, but also even deflecting reference calls at the end of the buyer journey, which is always a good thing because like you really don't want to. You want to minimize how many reference calls you ever have to do for so many reasons, like reference burnout being one of them. And, and, and yeah, so like we're basically by moving, you know, customer evidence, you know, as a throughout the entire journey thing, you don't end up with this like trust gap at the end. You you've just kind of bridged the whole journey and, and you can, you know, close deals faster because you're not trying to like force your buyer to take these leaps over these trust gaps and inevitably, you know, not all buyers are going to be able to make those leaps. They're going to fall out. They're going to, you're going to have pipeline leakage and that's really the problem. Yeah, I think, so you mentioned, you know, salespeople sharing it, which is definitely one route also because people are doing so much research ahead of time. I actually like the idea of sharing those objections further up the funnel. So whether that's through, you know, based on activity of them viewing your other ads, going on your website, and then running retargeting or even, you know, syncing your prospect list and showing the whole department you sell into ads that handle those objections because you know they're going to be involved in the decision at some point. So I think that's something like you wouldn't want to serve all those people generic testimonial. It's just not interesting enough. They're kind of past that stage. But if you have those pieces of micro content, I think between marketing and sales, you can just kind of envelop the whole account and handle those up front. So that's something I've been trying to think through of how like internally, we can use our own videos that way in marketing. We've been doing a lot of that and it's been been working pretty well. 100%. And, you know, right now we are working on a video that one of the main, you know, use cases of it is actually to improve our MQL to SQL conversion rate, right? With, with the hype video, which features customers as, as a part of it. So I think, yeah, that that's, which also I think is a really good point is like, I don't think, you know, we're saying you have to make every single one of your assets a customer story. It's more of like every one of your assets would be helped by including at least some sprinkling of customer evidence in it, you know? So, so for example, for this video that we're making, so we, we're, We've gotten pretty good at, you know, generating MQLs cold on some ad platforms. And, but, you know, sometimes we, the difference between getting the lead captured and people actually showing up on the call, like you have to kind of, you know, remind them why they need to show sometimes, right? Or else it's going to, it could get reprioritized or any number of things. So yeah, we have a specific video that we're, that you and I are making, you know, and customer stories are a big part of that video. They're not the only part of it. And we know when that video is done, like we're going to be able to measure the the show rate and our conversion rate from MQL to, to SQL. And we're going to see like just knowing already because of like the content and script we have, like we're going to have 
a massive uptick there. So I think that's that's just one example of thinking about, you know, things that you are like, like not all of it is measurable, but I do think there are, there, there are those measurable life cycle conversion stages. And if you understand, you know, how you can leverage customer evidence at each of those stages, it should be very possible to actually improve your whole, basically your whole sales funnel with the right strategy. And that the key thing, and I think this is another, you asked like, what's the difference between like social proof 1.0 and 2.0? I think social proof 1.0 was a lot more about, oh, let's just like, you know, let, let's get breadth. Let's get as many case studies as we can. Like, let's get as many, you know, reviews as we can. Let's get, it's just like more like volume, like quotas and such. And social proof 2.0, in my opinion, is really about breadth and depth. Like it, it's undeniable that there is social proof in volume, you know, that, that, that un hasn't, there's an undeniable connection there, but there also, there needs to be, you know, depth and, and strategic intent to get the most out of it. So yeah, I think that is a big change. It's like moving from just this idea of like, we need breadth for social proof. They're like, we need breadth, breadth, and we need strategic depth that aligns with our buyer personas, our products, our, and then again, with, you know, what the QFDs, questions, fears, doubts are at every stage of the buyer journey. Yeah. I mean, I've called that, you know, checkbox content or quota content, but that is kind of the way it's been. And I think for, for most marketers, when they started a new job, like I do this as well, the first thing I do is kind of look at that journey and where the, the choke points are essentially, right? So if you're like MQL to SQL rate, so lead comes in, call booked rate is 30%. That's a red flag of, okay, we need to improve that. And I think most marketers do that. And as you interview them and you ask them, smart marketers also will say, like, if you ask, what's your first 30 days? They'll say, I don't know, tell me the data first. So they're thinking strategically. It's just layering on the voice of customer on top, which isn't historically how a lot of companies have, have done that. So we've talked a bit about, you know, that's kind of on like the maximizing usage side, or I guess the, the stage before that of actually figuring out what content to create. And you and I have talked before about a customer evidence flywheel, you know, starting from getting customers, creating the content, using the content, measuring the content, which then brings in more customers. And, you know, the, the cycle continues. Let's talk a bit about that implementation side, because I think a lot of people struggle there. Like they'll get the videos created and then don't know what to do with them or how to track them. So how are you thinking through that and maybe how people can improve that? 100%. Yeah, I mean, I'll give my thoughts, but I would love to hear your thoughts on it as well, Dustin, because yeah. I know you uh, think about this as much or if not more than me. But yeah, I think, you know, the, the video is only as good as the implementation from a, from a results perspective, as well as who's aware of it, right? You know, I think there's a stat out there that 80% of marketing content, like, doesn't actually get used by sales. And, you know, maybe some of that is because like it isn't the right content and there's some silo communication issues there, but a lot of it might just be like, uh, a lot of it in my opinion is like more communication issue and like sales isn't aware of the great content that marketing is creating in, in many cases. And so I think that that's important off the bat is like, you know, the, the videos, let's just use video testimonials for example here, like, um, it's imperative that, you know, sales knows, you know, where the videos are, like, and immediately how to use them and like how they should be sending them out. 
as in, you know, the, I mean, the best, the, well, the, I mean, ideally like you have a customer's page that shows like all your, your customer content and your, vi your customer videos and all of that. And then you can also, you know, you have customer showcase pages on your marketing site with a, just a specific customer because you, you want the ability to send people to your customer's page and just blow them away with, again, breadth and see, seeing a lot of great uh, case studies, a lot of great, you know, customer videos and a lot of great logos on there, just like a ton of breadth. But you also want to give them the opportunity to dive, you know, filter, dive in more from a depth perspective. And then also from a sales name of enablement perspective, you know, you don't just want your sales team linking to your customer's page every time. You want them to be able to link to specific, what we call them is like customer showcase pages where, you know, you have the, you have the customer, you have the video that goes with the customer, you have the write-up that goes along with that customer, you know, basically like some people would call the case study. You have, you know, and it's all professionally designed, you know, and that is a page that your, your team can basically get a landing page specifically for that customer. And then that allows the sales reps to be way more strategic with, you know, sending that, you know, beautiful asset. And of course, you know, if, if you have a sales enablement platform, you can also set it up there, right? It, it's, it's, I'm a big fan of doing it in both places if possible, like having it on your marketing site, you know, as a, with a showcase page there. And then, you know, but if you're, if you're deep in a sales enablement platform, like a high spot or, you know, one of those platforms, like you can, you know, set it up there as well. And as far as tracking, I mean, there's, there's so much you can do with tracking if you want to, and if you care. And I think, I think that's the main thing is like, it's, it's important to know that it's, it's actually way easier to set up everything that it used to be. So, so like at a minimum, I'd say like use a business hosting platform like Wistia or, or similar, connect it to your HubSpot or your Salesforce or, you know, whatever you use for marketing auto automation. And, you know, that's like more than half the way there. It's just like using a, a business purpose belt hosting player for business that has a native integration with your CRM and your marketing and automation platform. But yeah, what would you add, Dustin? Yeah, I think there's two parts. There's the strategic side of do I have the right content for each stage, which takes place kind of before all this, where you have to map it out. Yeah. That's the first step that people kind of miss. And they definitely miss with case studies, right? Like case studies, the old school way is cool. I need one from each industry. They're all going to look the same. They're all going to be the same length, but sales wants them. So I'm going to go do it. So I think before that, there's the strategic side of, like you said, mapping the question, fears and doubts on the technical side. Part of this depends on budget, right? Like we don't have a high spot given our team budget wise. It just doesn't make sense. So you can go the low tech route. Like we have a Google sheet filterable by the objection, filterable if they talk about a competitor or like the cost of an action and by industry. So sales can quickly find it. The tough part there is building out a process and making it easy and required for sales to use it because otherwise they're going to default to like their same three pieces of content that they send to everyone because they are busy and that's what salespeople do. Like they have case study PDFs on their desktop that they just drag into emails, right? So I think on that side, having the process is important. On the video tracking side, like for what we sell video testimonials, almost without fail, the marketer will understand the importance, right? Like they, yes, I should use voice of customer. That's a no brainer. 
the CFO might not, and they're going to ask, how the hell do I measure this and get my money back? And the marketer can't just say, trust me, like I got it. So I think building out that integration, like where we're using Wistia, for example, I can then track like of the deals that came in, how many people viewed a testimonial video before they did, or, you know, of the deals that actually closed, how many did we serve videos to upfront on the website, as well as through sales emails? And how did that affect close rate? So like we're building out this infrastructure now after actually just making that switch to Wistia. But it's exciting to have that ability to prove ROI and then actually get the budget to do these things that all marketers know work, but they got to you know battle the CFO every time. Yeah, no, that's a really good call out. And yeah, I mean, obviously you mentioned like pipeline influence. I think, you know, that one is, that's like a, a great one at a, at a bare minimum. I, I personally am excited for us and I think more of our clients to see and get more data on how the right customer videos actually affect, you know, the life cycle stage efficiency you know, at every stage of the, of the sales process. And that's, you know, we're, I mean, right now we're moving from more of like a one call, you know, one or two call close kind of sales process to a little bit more of a, you know, multi-step process. So this is obviously something we're thinking about a lot as we, but, you know, like obviously pipeline influence is great. I think it can be seen as like a somewhat of a fluffy metric because at a high level it's, it's, you know, it's like, okay, like they, they watched the video, but like, what, what did they really do? But yeah, you know, I, I do think that the, the, you know, absolutely golden situation is, is if we can say like, look, we included this, these videos in, you know, as a follow-up after our intro or strat call and our, you know, life cycle conversion, our life cycle efficiency improved, you know, by X percent, like, and it was definitely like, this is like, we tested it before and here's what it was and here's what it is after like that especially I'm, I'm 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 very excited about that but yeah i don't know what what are your thoughts on that yeah for sure and i think there's like for all the marketers out there your sales people want these testimonials it's gonna come out of your budget as a marketer unfortunately but i wouldn't be shy of you definitely shouldn't be shy of working with them to come up with what content's actually needed and then help them build the process so like i've had dozens of salespeople on this podcast for example all of them universally want these stories. They, the vast majority of them will drop customer stories during every demo call. Like they'll just off the top of their head, pull out a story because they know of the impact, right? So I think that's an important part. Like marketers actually work with your sellers to give them the content they need and then help them measure it. So like one example there is I had Kevin Dorsey, Katie was on the podcast know, a few weeks ago. And he actually mandates for all his reps to drop a customer story during the call and then send in their follow-up a customer story in some format. Sometimes it's video, sometimes it's written, a quote, like whatever, but it's mandated because he sees the value. So I think, you know, marketers get closer to sales and actually provide the content they need. That way you're not just influencing, you know, leads that come in, which may or may not close. You're actually influencing revenue. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And that is actually like one of the other distinctions I would say between, you know, what we're calling social proof 1.0 versus social proof 2.0. And it, that, you know, social proof 1.0 is, you know, social proof 1.0 was a, basically a, a marketing function. Social proof 2.0 is a integrated revenue team discipline. And it's basically impossible to, to practice that discipline without 
you know, involving, you know, the, the sales team, you know, potentially the customer success team as well. So yeah, I think that's a really good call out. And uh, yeah, a hundred like that is the thing is like, if we want to move and, you know, see more results, like working as a siloed team, siloed marketing team is not going to do that. We need to work as an integrated revenue team. And, you know, that's always going to be, you know, the most effective, uh, especially in terms of, you know, social proof and making sure that we create the right stories that address, you know, what's really happening. And sales often has a good look at that being on the front lines and then also making sure that, you know, they're, they're being used, you know, effectively. And, and cause that's, there's nothing more frustrating when, you know, we as marketers, you know, make great stories. And then for whatever reason, they just don't like, they don't get used because maybe some of the things we talked about before. Yeah. Yeah. Like internal marketing really is the missing yeah. piece there, right? Yeah, so sharing exactly. the stories. So we talked about the, basically the back end of the flywheel, kind of the last step, like implement it properly, use it properly. You'll increase win rate, sales cycle, close more deals. And then there's more customers to get as testimonials, right? So it's kind of this growing flywheel. A lot of people get stuck at the start though. And we see this in the sales process where, you know, someone says, love the idea, want the product, but I need to lock down a couple of customers first. And we see it with customers who sign on, who then, you know, it takes them a bit of time to get a customer. I have my theories as to why, but curious of your thoughts there of like, maybe what's influencing that and how people can overcome that and actually get that steady stream of customers. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And I think it's a couple things that can, that can solve it. You know, one is kind of what I just mentioned around the integrated revenue team. You know, as, as mar marketers, you know, we may not always, we're not, you know, usually closest to the customers as compared to sales or, you know, customer success or account management. So, you know, getting the qualitative insights and direct tips from people who, you know, either close the deal or, you know, or on the actual account is, is, is critical, you know, so that kind of cross-functional collaboration there, the other thing, the other thing in the identification process, I, I am becoming more and more of a fan of is strategic surveys and, you know, whether that's actually just leveraging, you know, existing NPS data and reaching out to, you know, the, the high scores on, in that NPS data, the promoters, and also, you know, including questions on the NPS surveys or just general, you know, CSAT surveys around like, would you be open to, you know, what, what sort of advocacy activities would you be potentially, you know, interested in, right? And they can say like, I would be interested in a webinar. I'd be interested in written case study. I'd be interested in video testimonial. So like giving people an opportunity to raise their hands from surveys is like some, is a very easy thing to add that, you know, people probably aren't doing enough. I mean, most of us are already running these surveys and all we need to do is add, you know, this, this advocacy ask question and immediately you're going to get a, a, a few people that, you know, would be willing. So yeah, I think that's probably like one of the biggest opportunities I see is, you know, surveys, data mining, improving surveys, you know, getting people to actually raise their hand, you know, by adding some additional questions to surveys that you're probably already sending out. Yeah, no, I think like what that really comes down to then is having actual processes that are repeatable that build a pipeline. 
and I think that's why sometimes marketers struggle with this and why I've struggled with this before is you try to do it too ad hoc, right? You come up with a list. These are the eight customers I absolutely want testimonials from. Kind of like your side of the desk thing that you want to do, but doesn't get done because no one owns it. You have to go through CS. It's a bit of a nightmare to do ad hoc. So then maybe you try it and you get one yes out of 10. And then you got to start it all over again and it's not your full-time job. So I think the key there, two things. One, you should do those. These are my dream accounts I want testimonials from. Like we do that, right? Like we have, we got a testimonial from HubSpot and Intercom. As someone who sells to SaaS marketers, you can't really think of two better names, right? So there's that and they had really good stories. At the same time, we also run, you know, recurring processes where CS can raise their hand. We don't use Gong, but for customers who use Gong, you know, you can set up trackers there that can automatically alert you or the CS team of a cool story. There's a lot of ways, like we just dropped a course today, actually, with Leslie Barrett on this of, you know, 10 different strategies that you can just build in and automate this. So I think that's where people go wrong is that it can be an ad hoc thing that then doesn't become a cycle and becomes more of a nuisance than anything else to do. So I think that's the key, like build I've harped on this on so many podcasts now, but like build the processes as boring as it is and it will make your life way easier going forward. I, 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 that's such a good way to put it. I couldn't agree more. And, and yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's a discipline, it's a practice, it's, and it needs to be an ongoing thing. And customer stories are so important in this buyer 2.0 world that you can't really afford to just kind of do the ad hoc thing anymore if you want to drive the mo- best results. And, and you, it, and again, in the buyer 1.0 world, you, it was good enough, right? You could afford to, yeah. you know, just kind of, you know, wing it or, or whatever, because buyers were talking to salespeople. They trusted salespeople. Salespeople would shepherd them through the buyer journey. But in the, in the world of buyer 2.0, you know, we need social proof 2.0. Because that's how we're going to get people, get buyers to who are doing their own research to make it through the buyer journey and over the trust gaps that exist. So, yeah, I think that that's really what it comes down to me is like, yeah, it needs to be a discipline. It can't just be ad hoc or at least, you know, if you want to be able to compete with people who like if you're doing that ad hoc, that's fine. Just don't expect to be able to compete in the same way against companies who are taking it seriously and making it a real strategic initiative. Yeah, I think that that's a good place to wrap it actually is like to have it as a strategic initiative, to have it as a discipline, you know, everything we just said there rather than this this ad hoc thing. So here's normally the place in the podcast where I would let you plug stuff and say where to go. But since we work at the same company, I'm just going to tell the listeners, like if you're curious about this, we put out a lot of content on this. Like I said, we have the course with Leslie. I'm going to do a course on the new year on like how to use your videos. We're going to be building that out more. So you can check out testimonialhero.com or just go to LinkedIn, connect with either of us or the company page if you want to learn more. So Sam, thanks so much. Anything else to add before we wrap it up here? No, this is great, Dustin. I think, I guess my last, my last thing actually I'll add is, you know, we talked a lot about video. I think it's worth noting that, you know, we're huge fans of video for a ton of reasons. It's, you know, the majority of what we do, but, you know, we advocate when it comes to, you know, social proof and customer evidence, we, we advocate a video first strategy. We don't necessarily advocate a video only strategy. And I think that's an important distinction. The, the idea behind video first is, you know, with video, when you capture your customer stories, 
especially at a high fidelity uh, starting place on video, you can, you know, downstream create any asset from that, right? You can, from video, you can create your written case study. You can create a, turn it into a podcast even, or, or, you know, audio waveform clips. You can, of course, do your, you know, customer quote cards, your pull quotes, your slides for your sales deck. You can do anything downstream of video, but you can't really do video downstream of text if you start with text. So yeah, I think that's what, I, what I'd leave people with is huge benefits to going video first, but that doesn't mean you need to go video only. Yep. Yeah, 100%. And a video interview with, you know, 40 minutes of interview questions, that's going to create a whole whack of assets you can use. So you might not need as many customers as you think, but you can get a lot of content from a single customer. So Sam, well, let's wrap it there. Thanks so much for, for coming on the podcast, wrapping it up. I think we were on episode one together. And now this is episode, I want to say 61 or 62. So we've come a long way, but thanks again. Absolutely. Thanks, Dustin. Thanks for listening to this episode. My key takeaway is just the concept of the customer evidence flywheel. So for a very long time, testimonials, social proof, they've been viewed as like an ad hoc thing that you do off the side of your desk. But switching to look at it as a flywheel and actually focusing on the start, which is how do you get customers to agree to be advocates, and the end, which is actually implementing and measuring success, are really the key points here and a great way to really get that flywheel spinning. Hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll be reposting an episode over the break because of winter, Christmas, and enjoying the holidays and all that good stuff. And we'll be back in the new year with new episodes.